Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Welcome to Toxic. Be aware this podcast delves into tough to hear but necessary to discuss topics surrounding violence against women. There may be descriptions of intimate partner abuse and violence, child abuse, and sexual assault, which can be triggering. Please exercise caution when listening. We also use adult language because, well, we're adults. Finally, if you like what you hear, please leave a review or click the subscribe button so the magic podcast machine can tell you when our next episode comes out. Well, hello, and welcome to Toxic. In this glorious month of February 2023, I am your (laughs) super professional, always with a good intro host, uh, Jenna. Always. That was so good. I'm Amanda. Welcome back to Toxic. (laughs) I'm Amanda. Hi. Hi. It's still me. I haven't changed. We're the same people. Sorry. Were you expecting new hosts? Nope. Still us. No. No. Were you expecting more professionalism? Also, no. Nope. <laughs> Same amount. Coming in 2023 hot. Same yes, amount that's of professionalism. Right. <laughs> oh, the click clacks of my dog behind me. That's right. Why, why oh, you're recording? Have a dog in the room. You're recording? Oh, now I'll Time click to walk clack around. across the floor. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not <sighs> any better than me coming down to my recording studio, a.k.a. my uh, lower level of my quadplex, a.k.a. <laughs> That sounds really uh, fancy, a quadplex. It does, but it's not. Um, or quad level, not quadplex. I'm not living in four Quadplex. Different... Yeah, that's not... That's Jesus wrong. Christ. Whatever. Anyways, I came down to find just um, miscellaneous poop nuggets all over the floor <laughs> because apparently my cats don't know how to poop anymore. And so it's just... It's going swell. Um, really loved not actually recording when we planned on it, but having Amanda watch me scoop poop before I began. So, you know... Oh, my God. Just... It's this full is pet why, sabotage today. This is why we don't record video. Because we have throngs <laughs> of fans constantly asking us, why don't you record the video and release that as... No. Right. Throngs of fans. Throngs. Throngs, a.k.a. negative three. Right. <laughs> no one's asked us for that. No one's requested this. I mean, it would be funny, but at the same time, you just don't... You don't need that. You don't need that at all. People that record the whole video as well as the audio, I applaud them because then you also have to be camera ready. And I mean, obviously, we are both gorgeous 24-7, but there is a difference between this gorgeousness that we're displaying right now and the camera ready gorgeousness. Well, right. And I will say at least I showered today, so I'm oh, one yeah. up on other times that we've recorded. So there you go. You're one step ahead of me. I went right That's from right. my morning yoga to changing my clothes, but you don't really sweat that much in yoga, so... Good. Speak for yourself. <laughs> Do you not remember the struggle bus I was on doing yoga That's in true. Las Vegas? When we did, I was Vegas so yoga. sweaty, so sweaty. I forced Jenna to do hotel room yoga as well as our other friends Angie and Alyssa. But we should clarify: we say hotel room, but we actually had like the most bomb ass suite at Mandalay Bay. Right, with that was plenty of room up for yogaing. Angie hooking us up mm-hmm. um yeah there was like a literal room to do yoga yeah so it was our yoga room. Use that? yeah 
<laughs> oh, that was We need great. to go back to there, please. I know. No kidding. I was just thinking the same thing. Why are we not there? Memories. <sighs> All right. Let's talk about the fact that we celebrated our two-year anniversary uh, like a what? couple days ago on the 31st of January. That's, um, Hot damn. Yeah. The so, podcast has lasted longer than some of my relationships have. So right? round of applause. <laughs> round of applause for us. <laughs> That that's right. We deserve to toot our own horn. Uh because two years is a long time to stick with anything. Right. <laughs> really. And, and, you think and with about the it. level of pseudo consistency that we have. Yes. Yeah. I know. Like we I, are like literally we started off, I should say, when this started off, we we're like, let's bank a few episodes. And then we had this big plan to like pre-record episodes. We'll do like a month at a time. <laughs> well, Anyone who's ever had a podcast knows, like, if you if that's not your full time job, because we both have jobs and also children, that fell off really quickly. And then we went from every week, and I was getting real stressed about that to every other week, and now we're on a pretty consistent every other week schedule. And even that sometimes falls off. But the fact that we stuck with it for two years, man, this is what I'm saying. Because like, what episode number are we on now? It's like sixty. This is sixty. I was gonna say this is sixty. Yes, this is sixty. What, what? We're okay, 60. so this is. I'm sixty. Um, <laughs> um, I kick, I stretch. I'm professional and I kick. Um, so so the milestones. Uh, two years recording. Yes. Sixtieth episode and mm-hmm. ten thousand downloads. Over ten thousand downloads. And Which, don't come again, at us if you're like you've got ten thousand downloads an episode. I know. Yeah, yeah. You're better yeah, than us. Yeah, great. That's fine. Cool. This for us was big. Big. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't care. Yeah, so we have we're a small like, but mighty really support system of followers, and for them, for you who's listening, we're thankful. So, yes, um, without you, no. we would we would be speaking into an ether uh, of nothingness. So we appreciate that at least someone <laughs> is listening. Like I yeah. made a comment on the Instagram, I was like, even if we've only changed that one mind, that guy in Vegas who saw my sweatshirt right. that said right. "Stop killing women" and said, "Is that really happening? Is that <laughs> happening?" And I said, yes, Sir. it is. And then from there, I believe an idea was born in his head to look more into it. Women dying. He types it into Google. Right. <laughs> why, are, why are women getting killed? Oh, my God. What? It's and his me. mind was blown. Hi. It's, I'm <laughs> the problem. It's me. Oh, shit. It's men. Fuck. <laughs> and then he quickly closes his browser window like, I don't, yeah, don't want to like, know about this. But, but he did. He had but no he choice but to know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's you. <laughs> oh my god that should be our next shirt it should just say like men it's you <laughs> and then underneath it stop killing women yeah <laughs> who's killing women <laughs> men it's you guys <laughs> sorry I, and the then calls coming from inside <laughs> the house <laughs> oh fuck really yeah it is I'm sorry mm, who did mm-hmm. you think it was sharks no it's you <laughs> Killer bees. Mm. <laughs> Focusing only on women. <laughs> Can we also talk about, this is the other newsy thing I wanted to mention, that the women's uh, march happened. Yes. In I mean, it happened, the main one was in D.C., but then there were like dozens of marches around the country. And I feel like it didn't get a whole lot of fucking press. No, it didn't. And like, even, like, there was one locally here 
Um, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was colder than a witch's teat again because again I've complained about this the fact that they hold this shit in January when I don't want to be outside unless I have to yeah can we um, rebrand this for like a summer women's march can we get angry in June right I, right I'm angry year round so really it can be any month but maybe mm-hmm. let's just not do the coldest month of the year for the Midwest at least Um, but so I, like I follow the Women's March Minnesota on mm-hmm. Instagram and there was barely any ads for the thing and I know it was like it was Roe v. Wade focused. Um, right. But like, I don't even know if it got a blip on the news that night saying that it happened. Like, locally. I know. It's kind of disheartening. And we can't really speak because we didn't end up going to it. So uh, right, it didn't work out for the weekend that it was. But I also just feel like I, I didn't see a lot of shit about it. And you know what? It's not... I don't think it necessarily matters so much as if there's like a huge news coverage about it or even if a ton of people showed up. The fact that it's still consistently happening, like, and it's it's a place, it's more so, so I believe, for people to go and find solidarity in that group. Because every time yes. I've gone to a march, I've walked away feeling like so inspired and like mm-hmm. so uplifted and like re-energized. And I've taken my kids to several and they still talk about them today. And I just feel like, I formed this core memory that involved them being able to speak up for themselves. Uh, and they learned that they have that ability and that right to do that mm-hmm. for any issue. But when they right. grow up, if they choose not to march for women, but any other issue that they feel strongly about, they know that this is an option that exists. Mm-hmm. And so for that, I-, I think it's great. And we shouldn't necessarily quantify marches by the number of participants at each year or the amount of change that they directly right. impact. Because I don't think marches really impact change directly. I don't you know. think so. It helps to call attention to things, but like yeah. that's, and and a lot of times, I mean, I guess I, I wonder if it's more so like when, when marches are like an annual event and are planned in advance, mm-hmm. are they less impactful than like, say the when spontaneous ones right when there's something mm-hmm. that occurs and people are like you know f this we're gonna get together and show that we're not gonna deal with this anymore like mm-hmm. i wonder if that makes a difference because yeah i it just it's like it's it more could. like oh well that's happening it's more like oh traffic alert traffic is gonna suck and whatever because there's gonna be the women's march and <laughs> more so like don't try to go to downtown saint paul's today rather than People are marching for women's rights, and there is a reason why women are upset. And here are the li- here is the eight hour list of reasons why women are upset. Like right. it's not even that you know anymore. It's just right. like traffic alert. <laughs> <laughs> just don't pay them any mind. Just drive around. Right. Cool. Uh, unable to find any poster board. It's because there's a women's march. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true but i definitely i fully support it i'm so glad that people were able to go and show up and i Me so too. appreciate the people that were able to yeah go, the people who, who wasn't who one of do them show up um and i will say that you can you can literally have a march anytime you desire because i will uh, bring up this example in 2020 when myself and my two children held a three-person black lives matter march in our neighborhood <laughs> <laughs> because we were i was so enraged uh over the events of early 2020 if we all remember with the you know with george floyd and exactly all the racially charged police killings and uh, i asked my girls if they wanted to march because people were holding black lives matters marches and um i just knew that the group of people i know here (laughs) 
would not probably march. Um, <laughs> that means like, I don't have like a core group of, of friends that are like politically charged in the same way that I am. Let's just put it that way. Not that I hang out with racist people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just, Obviously I, you do. I'm the person that's like, <laughs> let's do this. And everyone's like, oh, I got to take my kids to soccer. Um, <laughs> so myself and my two girls made signs and we went and we marched um, for just a little bit. And it just felt like really good just to walk around our, <laughs> our neighborhood holding these signs. And, you know, people honked and uh, supported us. And one woman um, yelled profanities. And it was a good learning moment for my kids because I was able to tell them, like, listen, we go out here, we do this. Just so you know, not everyone thinks this is a good idea. Right. And, and let that sink in. Not everyone thinks it's a good idea that we stop killing black people. So <laughs> like this is a lesson, you know, you need to learn early on. And they were ready for that. And they, they still talk about it. Remember that part? Because they didn't hear it, luckily. They didn't hear this woman yell this thing. Um, and so they were like, what did she say? And I, was, and I, I changed it a little bit. I told them, she said she doesn't agree with what we're doing right now. <laughs> Uh, and she thinks that we should probably go home. And so they tell this story now of like, do you remember when that woman said that we should go home? And I was like, yeah. yeah she the audacity that. of that woman who said that we should go home. <laughs> you were like, yes, but, it, but if you really knew what she said. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. Um, but I will say that I read that Kamala Harris spoke at the rally in Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. So they had some power behind their rally. And I loved this quote that she said, let us not be tired or discouraged because we are on the right side of history. So I feel like that's one of those that should just go in a frame somewhere. Right. Oh, and then I also read that in Madison, Wisconsin, our home state of Wisconsin, there was a march, even though it was 26 degrees out, which I feel even that might be an exaggeration of temperature, right? 26 Um, degrees even seems high. (laughs) Maybe not with wind chill. Yeah, if the wind chill were involved, it might not be so good. But like 26 degrees is actually like a little balmy. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's like maybe, <laughs> maybe take off your jacket weather. Right. I mean, you could actually just do a bunch of layers. I mean, for folks here, you could just do a bunch of layers and I even wear a jacket with that. But, you know, that's me being a, a super tough Minnesotan. I am not. Anything under 60 is freezing for me. I know. Uh, also, I watched two movies that I want to talk about really quick. I just want to recommend them. I'm not going to give the synopsis because you all can watch them. And, and they're also not brand new movies. Um, but they're ones that I've had on my list for a long time that I want to catch up on. They are Call Jane and She Said. I've seen both of those in the last week and they are so good. I highly recommend both of them. Call Jane is that one about the Janes, the women's um, kind of like underground safe abortion network that happened in the 60s. It stars Elizabeth Banks and Sigourney Weaver. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, it was so good. And what's funny is like, I asked my husband if he'd watch it with me on Friday night and he's kind of notorious for falling asleep about 30 minutes into every movie we watch. So I was like, do you want to fall asleep to this movie while I watch it? And he was like, yeah, it sounds good. And he stayed awake for the whole thing. And it's over two hours. This is not a short oh, wow. movie. And he was like, that was a really interesting movie. Yeah. So highly recommend Call Jane. And then she said is the one about the Harvey Weinstein, the yes. the New York Times reporters that uncovered the Harvey Weinstein scandal. Nice. So watch both of those. Um, And I wanted to say, just because I had to talk about it um, uh, for a work thing I on a... Uh, diversity, inclusion, and equity uh, kind of a meeting that we had to have. Um, uh, I 
found out and realized this is related but not related, but um, the 1619 Project got turned into um, like a miniseries on Hulu. And so if you haven't had a chance to like read the book or there's also a podcast, um, if you or I mean, it's even like an odd, I don't know if it's an audible book or if it's a podcast, how it's technically classified, but they um, there is it's a series now on Hulu. And so that's way worth the watch, especially with it being Black History Month. Um, yeah. To to give that one um, a watch. And then I think the one that um, Amanda and I have been talking about is um, the Fair Play documentary. Yeah, I want to see that, that too. We, that we both want to watch, which is about like um, the invisible like work that women do um, and uh, just the emotional and, and mental toll that it takes to kind of be the person that carries the burden of of um of the workload of the family that one seems super interesting as well um and i think that one if i remember correctly i think it's on prime and maybe Mm -hmm. apple tv um but those will be two that hopefully um one or both of us can report back on next time yeah i wrote both of those down i heard about the 1619 and there's just too many things to watch now, but especially given Black History Month, let's all make an extra effort to right. fucking tune into the history that we need to learn. Exactly. Which, uh, yeah, let's... <laughs> My favorite thing, I know that we're kind of off topic and probably need to move on from crap, but like the favorite thing <laughs> that I've been seeing is, um, uh, I think his name is like Jason Sel- Selvig or something like that. He likes to interview um, crazy uh, conservatives about their thoughts and how they actually feel about these uh, topics that they are very fired up and angry about and then like ask them to explain what it is in detail like what what is that the guy from about. the daily show i he might be um i gotta i gotta look it up again but like uh he the, the ones that i've been seeing um that i've been seeing lately are him asking people to explain critical race theory yes I saw him. that. I saw the one where he asked the guy, do you agree with it? And he's like, no, I absolutely don't. And he's like, well, what is it? He goes, I don't actually know. <laughs> and he's like, well, I'm not going to explain it to you. And it's like, are you <laughs> effing kidding me? Like, you yeah, this yeah, it's Jason, it's Jason Selvig. Um, <laughs> the quote that I can see on the still right now is like, he's asking this old man. He says, he's like, why are you here? And he's like, well, I don't like, I don't like CRT, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes, well, um, what is CRT? Like, can you explain it to me? And he goes, quote, I don't have that much knowledge on it, but it's something that I don't care for. <laughs> what he means is he doesn't care for black people. That's right. He means he I'm means. racist. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what he means. Oh, my God. Fucking Florida with their, not only their banning of critical race theory, um, but also the book banning of late has the just book banning made of like me authors and inclusive. so fucking insanely mad. I, I suggested to our school that we do a, a banned books book drive for our library. And I was like, what if I, I brought this up to the principal waiting, awaiting his response. <laughs> I'm sure he's on it. But I, I said, I'm, I'm sure you don't agree with the politics of, of Florida lately. But what if we did like a book drive where we bought all the banned books that Florida has banned to show ours? like solidarity um and the fact that you know we do support our children having the education of all other cultures religions and um you know gender identities everything Mm -hmm. under the sun they've banned everything that's not straight white people books but right i just 
I looked up the, they don't have a list from this year, but I did find a list of books that some Florida school districts banned uh, last year. There's like a, mm-hmm. a list of 160 some books that they've banned. And shocker, it's literally all about marginalized groups. So Right. I'll, that's the thing is like, I saw a list too. I think, I don't, again, I'm sorry that I get all my news from like Instagram and TikTok. I know that that's wrong. Um, <laughs> but like... I saw, and it was literally like, it was just all books. I mean, it was books about like uh, Muslim families and Mm -hmm. um, an Asian family, uh, something about somebody having two dads, like a book about like Harriet Tubman. I'm just like, how can you... What is your reasoning? I have yet to see like their exact, like, what is their soundbite PR filtered reasoning for why they're banning these books? Because if it's anything other than, like, we're bigoted, racist, xenophobic, homophobic individuals, like, I I don't know what they could possibly reason it as. Right. Exactly. I just... <sighs> I feel bad for, for kids in Florida. Like, what... I feel bad for parents in Florida who are enraged about this and, and have to keep sending their kids to these schools because they don't really have the option of just, like, picking up and... and moving somewhere else or homeschooling at the drop of a dime, you know, like, right. I feel bad. Just like, what do you, you got to, you just got to talk to your kids. That's what we always say. Talk to your kids. Right. Just tell them this is fucking wrong. Please. For the love of God. For the love of God, talk to your kids. (laughs) Don't trust the schools to do it. Just talk to your kids. (laughs) Right. Because they're not going (sighs) to. Okay. Should we talk about our story today? We have a lovely woman named Kayla, Kayla, Fazio, who's going to talk to us in a little bit about um, uh, a toxic person that she dated and how mm-hmm. that wound up with her behind bars. Um, but I want to give a little backstory to that first. Okay. So a while back, um, Kayla reached out to Toxic to talk about um, domestic violence on her podcast. She had invited us on. She has a podcast called Habits You Love, and we'll link to that in our bio. But <laughs> here's here's my admittance. I completely missed that email. I think it was sent to like the ether of my spam folder, as sometimes they do. If you ever try to email us and I don't respond or we don't respond, just keep bugging us because I promise I reply to like 90% of the emails that we receive. Unless um, you sound like a bot. <laughs> unless you sound like a bot. Like, right. Unless you're fishy. Like I, as a journalist for domestic shelters, I get a lot of emails that are literally like form emails. that like, I have someone that you should interview and it's about like bass fishing, you know, <laughs> or like <laughs> high yield savings bonds. And you're like, right. I write about violence against women. So unless you can relate that to this. We heard you were looking for someone to talk to about Bitcoin, and do we have the person for you? (laughs) Hey, what's so funny is we did a story on Bitcoin. Yeah, I didn't understand it. I I mean, I didn't write it, so, but it was so funny. Um, So anyway, that wasn't Kayla. Kayla's email was obviously very relevant and very sweet. I was glad to find it as I do look through my junk folder when I remember to, to see if anyone is in there that shouldn't be. Um, so I, um, connected with Kayla, we started talking and she told me about living through this very toxic relationship as she defines it. Um, the whole journey of which was documented on a podcast that she did for her best friend, Rachel Meadowcroft, and it was called, it doesn't end here. 
So we'll link to that as well. There's two seasons of this. Kayla's story is all of season one. And we should say here um, that uh, I believe that it's up to each individual survivor to um, define the terms of what they endured. So for Kayla, she she defines this as a toxic, narcissistic um, ex-boyfriend that she lived with um, and not necessarily domestic violence. Um, so we're not a court of law. We're a podcast. So we're not going to pigeonhole people into this tightly defined experience and say you're either this or you're not. So we've discussed before the differences between domestic violence and a toxic relationship, both of which mm-hmm. involve a person with abusive traits. But the former, domestic violence or domestic abuse, would denote an ongoing pattern of power and control that escalates over time and can end up being lethal. So for Kayla, she wanted to be clear that there wasn't ongoing physical abuse, though there was one culminating incident that was physical, which we're going to talk about. So rather, she describes, like I said, her ex-partner as someone who's narcissistic, a perpetual liar, someone who definitely didn't have her best interests in mind by any, man, by any means. But here's the fact that I wanted to focus on today. There's something called mandatory arrest laws, and they exist in over half of the states in the U.S., Kayla didn't know this when she called the police for help after her and her ex got into an altercation, and she ended up being the one to be arrested. Well, he did not. Kayla's going to join us in a little bit to talk about this in her own words, but first I wanted to tell you how her relationship got to this point. So in 2017, when she was 27, Kayla decided it was time to leave her hometown of Oklahoma City and move to San Diego. She'd always wanted to live in California, and she had a dream of working in the fitness industry. Her best friend, Rachel, the host of the aforementioned podcast that she tells her story on, moved at the same time, but to London. It was kind of the first time that Kayla had been on her own, but she said that she needed some space because she had been going through some shit early on in her life. Um, She was going through a divorce at the time. Her mother, she had a short marriage to somebody and it didn't work out, but that that wasn't necessarily toxic. Um, Her mother had actually died of suicide the year prior and her dad had been struggling with mental illness. So it was not an easy time. That's some stuff. That's some stuff. Yeah. (laughs) So she moves to San Diego, uh, admittedly in a pretty vulnerable state. And then in walks this guy whom she refers to on her friend's podcast as Mr. Wannabe. And if you... (laughs) I will just say this, and again, try not to sound like I'm victim blaming, but this is just something to be aware of. If you feel like you're in a vulnerable place in your life, if you've endured trauma or you've been through a bad breakup recently or you're just down and out in some way, I think it's important to be aware at this point that you are more at risk for missing the red flags of the next incoming potential partner. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is just something that can be like a self-protection method so if you know that you're vulnerable like maybe be on high alert for the next person to walk in and in hindsight Kayla says that she totally sees this because she missed a lot of these red flags that popped up with Mr. Wannabe at first he seems like this ideal guy right Mm -hmm. but actually it was a lot of narcissistic traits he had this real inflated sense of self which often can come across as like confidence when you first meet Mm -hmm. somebody Yep. And he was really well connected to the industry that Kayla wanted to be in. So he said that he could help her do all the things that she wanted to do professionally in her career. And at the time, this probably came across like serendipity, right? Like, oh my God, you do right. all the things you want to do. You do all the things I want to do with my career and you can help hook me up. How crazy that I met you, right? Mm-hmm. Probably not crazy. Probably not a coincidence. Probably planned by someone who knows that they can use this as a form of power 
to have a little bit of control over their partner. Right. It's the in. Yeah. Also to note, he was 16 years older than her. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with dating somebody older than you, but you also have to admit that there's a power imbalance there when someone is 16 years older than you, right? And they are in a different place professionally and personally in their life. Mm -hmm. In the podcast, Rachel, the host, talks about something she calls future faking, which is a term that I haven't heard before. Have you heard this? I, yeah. I have. Future faking? Okay. Yeah. Is this what the kids are saying nowadays and I miss that? Um, I don't know if it's a kid's thing, but like I, as someone who um, has, follows a lot of uh, accounts about uh, narcissists and, mm. um, and toxic relationships, it, it's huge and it is something that I've experienced in at least two of my relationships for, like, for damn sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, future faking is where someone talks in excess about future plans, usually with a lot of exuberance and excitement in order to woo somebody. But these plans actually never come to fruition. No. So at this point, he's like really, she gets into the story of of kind of who he is and stuff. And I'm not going to repeat all of that. But he was giving me real Anna Delvey vibes. If you've ever seen Inventing Anna on Netflix Mm -mm. about that grifter who, that woman who pretended like she was super rich but she actually had no money and she just Uh would steal from one person to give it to the next. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that he's at that level by any means, but that was kind of the vibe that I was getting about Mm -hmm. him. If you can, that helps you like paint a picture of this guy. (laughs) And after six months with him, he convinces her not only to move in with him in LA, but to sell her car, most of her belongings um, and let him kind of take care of her. Now, we've heard this before, right? Like, I'll take care of you. Like, you don't need anything. You don't even need to get a job. I got you, right? What this does is it sets up a pattern of dependence, financial dependence, codependence, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it sounds like, like a like, great deal for her because she's like, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, this this relationship seems like it's going well. Well, and like the thing that always gets me now at at my age and my and my all of my experience um is just like if some like when you're going to cohabitate with somebody especially when it's in a control kind of a situation that maybe you don't realize it yet but if you move into their space mm-hmm. it's never going to be your space it's mm-hmm. always theirs and you're just there and that's yeah. one of the worst things cuz that's always going to be used against you always right so she's in his space. She's using his car. She's using his connections. And these right. are all things at the time. I can see how this can sound very much like, wow, this like, is a really right. great situation for me, you know, mm-hmm. until you take that step back and you think, wait, what power do I have right now? Right. And what what's my mine? backup plan? What's my exit plan if this right. doesn't work out? Um. And at this, there's also like these little comments that he makes sometimes about her appearance that really, really rub me the wrong way. I can't even imagine what they would do to her. But at one point, he makes a comment in front of her friends uh, that she needs a boob job. Like he's looking at a picture of her um, and he, he kind of points like her chest and he's like, that's the first thing we're going to fix. Oh. Meaning I'm going to get you a boob job, which he does end up doing. And yeah. also by saying fix, indicating that there's something wrong with something her in wrong. the first place. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. Yeah. (laughs) So there's just a lot of facets of control happening here. 
At right. the same time, though, they're, the two of them are also trying to launch a company together. It's a technology company based around health and fitness. So they're meeting with investors. They're trying to get it funded. And it sounds like he's spending money that maybe he doesn't have yet. So as a result, their mm. finances are taking a hit. And she mm-hmm. knows that they're kind of tanking financially, but he hides some of it from her, um, specifically regarding the fact that they're likely going to lose their um their rental, I wasn't sure if it was a rental apartment or house, doesn't matter, their rental, they're going to get evicted. Right. And on Christmas Eve, they are evicted. But he he paints it as like, hey, would it be fun if we like moved out and went to a hotel and just like lived out of a hotel? Which again, is like such Anna Delvey vibes to me. And so she's kind of wary of this, like, wait, what? But kind of goes along with it because right. what is, what's her other option? So wait, but does, does she know that they actually are being evicted or did he lie she to her knew and that say they were going to go on it? Right. She knew that they were at the risk of being evicted. And then he paints it like, let's just like fuck living here. Let's just go mm-hmm. to a hotel instead of being like. And what she finds out later is that they were actually evicted. Like they didn't have a choice oh in God. this matter. Right. So it's like, JK, we're homeless. Like it's not actually like a fun adventure. Mm-hmm. So obviously there's a lot wrong here. And one could say that there are facets of psychological abuse. She's being lied to. She's being gaslighted. She's being controlled to a certain degree. And she's also being made to feel bad about herself with some of these degrading comments. And here's the thing I will just say as a side note, non-physical abuse or toxicity, however you want to define it. One might think like, oh, well, I mean, that's bad, but it's not as serious as let's say physical abuse, right? Your, your life isn't in danger. You're not suffering physical injuries. And that part is definitely true but at the same time you can't really compare the two because with physical abuse there's almost always psychological abuse too there's verbal Mm -hmm. abuse financial control gaslighting all these things but the physical abuse makes it clear like you are being abused tangible evidence right when you look in the mirror and you have bruises or cuts or you need to go to the hospital like that's confirmation that abuse Mm -hmm. is happening so it's still difficult to walk away from that but just for difficult different reasons right Mm mm-hmm when the physical abuse component isn't there, it's easier for the survivor or victim to gaslight themselves. They might think, oh, I'm just blowing this out of proportion. Like, right. this is what a normal relationship is. He's he's trying to get better. We both need to work on ourselves. He loves me. Neither of us are perfect, right? It's hard to separate what's happening in the relationship from your own definition of yourself because haven't we all made mistakes, right? You can justify right. it. Like, I'm not perfect. He's not perfect. Mm-hmm. So without the physical abuse component, it's actually harder to identify and admit to yourself and disclose to others what's happening Mm -hmm. and with all kinds of abuse and toxicity comes shame it's kind of like the party favor that no one wants from the party they never wanted to go to (laughs) like you take it home with you regardless right shame it's not what you can't you can't say no you know what I don't need to take a grab bag. I'm fine. And they're like, no, no, you're here it, it is. I'm actually going to forcibly put it into your mouth and shove it into your brain. <laughs> it's your parting gift. Thanks. Bye. Shame is shoved <laughs> into your mouth like yes. a party blower. <laughs> so there's there's always shame. Not always. I shouldn't I shouldn't generalize. There is oftentimes shame surrounding the fact that as the victim or survivor, you didn't see it, right? Or shame that you stayed or shame that you feel like you're partly to blame for this because you gave them another chance, you enabled them, or Mm -hmm. you've made mistakes yourself. So who are you to speak, right? Right. And Um, even sometimes I would say there's shame in feeling like you could have fixed the situation and you couldn't. Like like you could have made them better Mm -hmm. and and you couldn't. 
You take all that on yourself. Not only are you suffering the effects of their choices, but you're also blaming yourself for not fixing it. Right. And Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be on you. You don't have to fix everybody that comes into your life. And there's also a lot of shame that goes along with people who still love the person Mm -hmm. who is either abusive or toxic or flawed in some respect. Like, I, I love them. I actually do want them to be better. And, but then they make these choices that are directly harmful to you. Mm-hmm. So these are all the ways that shame might show up. And Kayla talks about that both with us in a couple minutes and, and in the podcast. She points out that she was possibly trying to hide old shame, meaning like childhood shame, with new shame, which is to say like if you have trauma from your childhood, you can just shove that down and replace it with another distraction, a bigger distraction like a toxic partner or an mm-hmm. abusive person that you decide to become entangled with. And this is something important, again, to recognize and be like, hmm, is this relationship a reaction to something I I don't want to deal with? Or does it feel Mm -hmm. familiar in some way to my childhood where I experienced this or that? Does the chaos of this relationship make me feel comfortable? Because that's what I know. Right. And is it all I think I deserve? Mm Mm-hmm. So Kayla and Mr. Wannabe, as she calls him, are in this hotel for seven months until they're able to rent again. At this point, they're about two (sighs) years into the relationship. And Mm -hmm. Kayla says that even though she can see this is not a healthy relationship at this point because there's a lot more lies that are being uncovered left and right, her reason for staying is that she was in pretty deep to their plans to start a business and she didn't want to see the business take off without her, which is Mm -hmm. valid and understandable. Mm-hmm. And also, like many women who are bamboozled by toxic partners, she was trapped. Like, where is she going to go? She has no car, right. no steady income. Her life and her livelihood are wrapped up in this person. And it's probably what he planned on from the start, right? Mm-hmm. If I get her so wrapped up in this, where is she going to go? By the end of 2019, they thought that they had secured an investment of over a million dollars for their business, but she says that something defaulted and it essentially fell through. And she tells me we had so much stress. Oh my gosh. And then in 2020, the other shoe drops. She finds out through a mutual friend that Mr. Wannabe has been messaging another woman and it appears that he probably cheated on her with this person, though of course he ends up denying it all up and down. An argument ensues about this. She leaves their house. She walks to a friend's house and she has a couple of glasses of wine, Mm -hmm. as one does when they find out that their partner might be cheating on them. Her friend falls asleep, and then Kayla makes the Winefield decision, probably, to walk back home and confront Mr. Wannabe about this again. Mm-hmm. Of course, this doesn't end well, because he right. admits to nothing. And that's when a physical altercation breaks out. Kayla says she doesn't remember the exact details of how it started or what exactly happened first, but she admits to, at one point, shoving him. Mm-hmm. And then she remembers that he was on top of her. And this is where she gets scared because regardless of how this started, you can't tell me that an over 200 pound guy, which she says he is, needs to put his full weight on top of a woman in self-defense. Right. This fight goes on and it continues. It travels to different rooms through their house and she's starting to get scared at this point. So that's when she makes the choice to call 911 and ask for help. Police are there in just moments and they take her outside to talk while they talk to him inside. And before you can say mandatory arrest laws, they have Kayla in cuffs and are taking her and her alone into the police station, she believes on a charge of domestic assault. 
Remember those New Year's goals you promised yourself you'd stick to? Well, HelloFresh is here to help you eat better by delivering fresh ingredients and easy recipes right to your door, taking the hassle out of dinner time. As much as I don't like to brag about being busy, I am, and being dedicated to nourishing my body has always been a priority of mine. The time is hard to find to research healthy yet delicious recipes, make a trip to the store for the ingredients, and then cook them. HelloFresh has made it so I can skip that extra trip to the grocery store and the long checkout lines and spend more time doing the things I love while always enjoying delicious chef-crafted recipes delivered right to my doorstep. I come home to recipes with quality ingredients, easy to follow recipe cards, and get more time to spend with my family at home. Go to hellofresh.com habit65. Use code habit65 and you'll get 65% off plus free shipping. That's hellofresh.com slash habits65. Use code habits65 for 65% off and free shipping for America's number one meal kit. I just... I, like, I get it. Women can beat up men. Like, I get it. Women can assault men. They can. But if she's calling for help, mm-hmm. it's not because she needs help with from the cops to beat him up. She needs help because he's getting physical with her. Like, right. I just... He's I'm a not, part of she's this not calling, altercation. Right. Yeah. She's not calling for backup. Like, hey, goons, come here and beat up my boyfriend for me. Like, <laughs> That's not what's happening. <laughs> so facts to know here. About half of the states in the U.S. have mandatory arrest laws for domestic violence, including California. That means that if police believe that domestic violence has taken place, an officer is required to make an arrest, even if the other person says they don't want them arrested. So this is something a lot of people don't know yet, um, even though these these laws have been around since the 80s. Um, so but if they're, could... if they're um, maybe I'll explain this, but like if they're yeah. forced to arrest somebody, do they just like spin the bottle (laughs) their goal typically is to find what's called the primary aggressor which is the person who is primarily respond who started it it's kind of like a kid fight right like who started this guys i know you both were like scuffling but who gave someone a wet willy and made the whole thing fall apart even though one person is decidedly has a, a size height power advantage or one person might have, and I'm talking in a general sense, might have a history of domestic right. violence. And we're going to talk about that in a second. What happens, you know, it, when the police come, if if you're going to be arrested, what what are some things you can do? But this is something that Kayla will tell us in a minute, like caught her completely off guard as it would, because you're thinking mm-hmm. you're calling for help and all of a sudden your hands are behind you and you're in cuffs. Right. You're in cuffs. So for the record, they could have arrested both parties, which is something called dual arrest, which many states do prescribe to. This describes the situation in which both parties are arrested since they both committed assault, even if one of them was acting in self-defense. So you can see how this is still problematic regardless. Mm-hmm. I asked my friend Barry Goldstein. He's a former New York attorney and a lifelong staunch advocate for survivors of domestic violence. He's also part of domesticshelters.org. I asked him how mandatory arrest laws came to be, and he told me this. Originally, domestic violence wasn't taken seriously. Shocker. Is it still today? I don't even know. Is I, it I taken say, seriously? Originally, how about forever? <laughs> right. 
infinitely police officers i mean even less he should have said even less seriously than it is today because back in the day if you will i want to say 70s 80s police officers were taught to separate the parties and have the abuser walk around the block to cool off which is still something i hear from some survivors specifically in military domestic violence cases where they are on base and military police respond they will often take the abusive person which is 99 percent times the man and tell Mm -hmm. him just go cool off for a bit because they've got zero training in how domestic violence works. Of course, this is Barry's words. Of course, this failed to understand the cause, and this approach often led to domestic violence homicides. Mm -hmm. Of course. Eventually, some communities recognized the need to take domestic violence seriously. Just some communities. Some of them thought, we should take this seriously because women keep dying. Okay. And this (laughs) led to... (laughs) What if we didn't have them die? And led to creating... (laughs) mandatory arrests starting in the 80s. Some jurisdictions call this pro-arrest policy. One of the purposes of a pro-arrest policy was to take the burden off the victim. She might be afraid to press charges and the abuser would often threaten or pressure her to drop the charges, taking it out of the hands of the victim, protects her and encourages arrests, which are the most effective response. Okay, so in that sense, I can see the benefit of that. That's that's not going to be how this is used primarily. Right. Right. Because this is Barry's words again, abusers got good at manipulating the police and many officers were biased in favor of men because you have to have police who respond who believe in a domestic violence is real. B, women are primarily the victim, regardless of what the abuser says. And and C, men are fucking liars. So they didn't (laughs) they didn't prescribe to this. So this led to the arrest of many victims. The movement responded by seeking to arrest the primary aggressor, which I was talking about, and this worked better when implemented properly. There was never an effective policy to prevent the offender from quickly being released, though, and going back to the home. Restraining orders are designed to deal with that issue, but courts are often reluctant to do what is necessary. Which means that there have been too many incidents of uh, abusive partners violating protection orders and having no consequences. Right, which I think we've talked about 11 billion times. <laughs> yeah. So if you are a victim of domestic violence, again, this is talking in a general sense because Kayla doesn't identify uh, what happened as domestic violence, and I respect that. But if you are a victim of domestic violence and you call the police and there's a primary aggressor slash um, mandatory arrest law in place in your state, and they arrest the abusive partner – even though he's saying, if you don't tell them that you're lying, I'll kill you. And the police are like, you know what? We're going to arrest them anyway because we're required to. Okay, cool. This is your like window, right? But Mm -hmm. here's where it pisses me off. It's like, you have this window where they're in jail. It could be hours, just hours where you get to escape. And where are you going to go? If you have children, if you have pets, if you don't have the means, if you don't have transportation, like you're just a a sitting duck, right? Until they get back out. If you haven't done anything to protect... Right. If you have done nothing at this point, um, which many people don't like, you know, because we always talk about if you want to leave, have a plan, like get stuff Mm -hmm. together before it happens. If you've done none of those things yet for whatever reason, which are all totally valid, you have two hours to figure your shit out. Mm -hmm. Great. Like what in God's name? And the pressure sometimes of having to deal with that, you already a lot of people just give up. Mm -hmm. Like I can't do anything about this in two hours. Right. And just the fear of being like they could come home while I'm in the middle of trying to leave. Yes. And then the flip side of that is 
if there's not a mandatory arrest law in place and the abuser says, if you, if you have me arrested, I will come kill you. So then the survivor recants, right? Nothing right. happened. It's okay. I'm fine. We just got in a scuffle. This has never happened before. Recant, recant, recant for her own personal mm-hmm. safety. And the officers either believe her or just don't give a shit enough to, to deal with it. And we're like, oh, fine. You guys stay here. Right. She could stay alive longer and form a safe plan to leave at a time mm-hmm. where she actually has a bigger window of time to leave than, than being forced into leaving at that moment when police arrest them, which sounds right. as backwards. But it's actually like, again, we have to leave the power in the survivor's hands of when it's the best time to leave. We mm-hmm. can't force it and be like, now it is. It's right now. Right. Go right, now. Right. Go, go, <laughs> like, go. I've got like three sleeping babies. I've got like five dogs, two horses, like no car. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Right. And everybody no getting a wagon? Like, I don't know. <laughs> well, the horses, Amanda. The horse. Oh, yeah. Get on the horse. <laughs> That'd be ideal. It's like a, that's a movie waiting to happen. It really is. So the next question one might have in their brain is, do mandatory arrest laws work? Do they actually have any proven benefit? Well, so glad you asked, no one. In a June 2022 paper um, put out by the Washington State Institute for Public Policy, they revealed that state-level prevalence of domestic violence was no different in states with mandatory arrest laws than in states with preferred arrest or discretionary arrest laws, meaning that it was up to the police whether or not they wanted to arrest somebody. Mm-hmm. While the earliest study of mandatory arrest for domestic violence showed a large reduction in domestic violence recidivism, five subsequent studies showed no effect. On average, studies did not show any significant change in domestic violence recidivism, general recidivism, the prevalence of domestic violence, or rates of intimate partner homicide. Recidivism, if we're not familiar with that word, means you're going to go do it again. Mm-hmm. So even though there was one study that showed these worked, there were many studies following that that showed these laws really didn't have any impact. So there you go. I mean, I'm of the belief that the threat of arrest or prison time doesn't stop domestic violence in general. So it these mandatory like arrest laws wouldn't make any difference anyway. I mean, well, I want to do a whole episode on abolition to talk about this. Like, I just, I don't think that prison is the answer for domestic violence. I just don't. Well, because the reality is like at the point in which people are willing to commit something that is considered a crime, they don't give a shit about them anymore. It's just about causing harm and ruining the life of the other person. And so yeah. threats of anything at that point... They're like, I don't care. As long as I annihilate this other person, whatever mm-hmm. happens to me happens to me and that's fine. Right. And that's why it doesn't matter. There is no there's no consequence to it, which is just horribly scary to think about because what do you do as the victim at that point? You have exactly. to save yourself. I know. It's it's sad. Um listen to this though. In a study from the U.S. Department of Justice on mandatory arrests, it was found that arrests were 30% less likely to result in a conviction if the defendant was white. So, shocker to no one, they they are arresting and convicting more black people for this than white. Happy Black History Month. (laughs) When they did, however, arrest men, men were twice as likely as women to re-offend and this is probably because, and I don't think this is rocket science, it's probably because the high majority of the women, in air quotes, offenders who were arrested were actually the victims. Right. <laughs> so that's probably Wait, why they what? didn't reoffend because they weren't offenders they never, to begin right. with. Because they never offended in the first place. 
I'm please just, come and I mean it's the same it's the same oh god it's my theory it's the same shit of like you know African American black people people of color calling the police for help and then being the ones that are taken out by the cops like it's the mm-hmm. same shit where women call for help and then they're the ones that are getting arrested like it just yeah somebody make all of it make sense and you can't because there you is know. no sense aside right. from uh misogyny and toxic masculinity <laughs> right and still we until we start fucking changing this shit right so while mandatory arrest laws may have started out with the intention of helping victims they've actually morphed into a reason why survivors are deterred from calling the police because they're at risk of being arrested mm-hmm. so the next question might be what do you do if you are arrested so here's some advice we gave on domestic shelters.org in a piece titled i got arrested too now what that my friend <laughs> shelly flannery wrote it wrote wrote Excellent. it oh my god she wrote it i'm in, she, i'm <laughs> in the journalism i'm the journalism writer those words just leave my mouth <laughs> and they don't go through enough filters okay it's okay you know what we're, we're almost we're, we're almost wrapped up part of the podcast so we can get we can do this girl we got this. <laughs> all right so if you are the one being arrested and this advice is just do your best is my is my qualifier for this way do your best to stay calm which i mean you are in the middle of potentially a violent kerfuffle of some kind and now you're being asked to just stay real real calm um even as much as you can because being um letting those emotions come through when you're trying to talk to police isn't going to do you any good because here's the thing they're there to do their job they're not necessarily there to be like your empathetic ear so they're they're just looking for the facts yeah and Mm -hmm. that's an unfortunate and i'm not i don't want to speak for all cops because i'm sure there's some really good ones out there that really really do care and want to hear it but Let's just go ahead and assume that they are there just to figure out who the primary aggressor is. So you need to stay calm. Right. Provide the calmer much- you are, the better yes. off you come across and the more, the less, uh, what is it, like manic or just, uh, not manic, but just more, un, uh, God, what is the word I'm looking for? Unstable and like they don't know what you're going to do, right? Because you're so full of emotion. Who knows what you're going to do? And that's yeah. what you, the impression you don't want to give. You want to be calm, cool, and collected. Even yeah. if you were just almost nearly murdered. And Even if you're or, like, this is complete bullshit. I know it, right. you know it. Like, just, you'll get your chance to say that. In this moment, as the cuffs go on, you're going to need to stay calm. When they go low, we go high, says Michelle Obama. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. <laughs> so you're going to need to provide as much detail and context as possible, including how, this is before, I should say, before they read you your rights. When they arrive you want to provide them with as much detail and context as possible, including how you felt during the incident. Were you in fear for your life, in, for fear of your children's life, lives? I'll also add, if you have um, proof of a history of abuse, like prior restraining orders, arrest records, a log of incidents, this is the time to offer that information up, again, calmly. Who knows if they're going to mm-hmm. want to see it or hear it, but at least say, I have proof that this is a history of abuse, right? And then if you are, if you do end up being the one arrested, you're going to want to comply with the officers. Do not resist the arrest because that's not going to help your case. After you're read your rights, remain silent or asked to speak to a lawyer. Police are not permitted to question you after that. Victims often think that if they can just explain their story again better, they will be released. That's not the case. Making mm-hmm. a statement after arrest can only serve to incriminate you. So shut your pie hole at that point and wait till you get to the jail. Wait till you kind of get a lawyer 
or in Kayla's case, wait until you get out on um, bail and then try to figure out what the fuck is going on. So Kayla did all these things. She says she was very, very calm. Um, I don't believe she asked for a lawyer, though. She'll tell us in a minute what was going through her mind at that moment when she felt them put her in handcuffs. But soon after, she's in a jail cell, luckily alone. She wasn't in a jail cell with a bunch of people. And so she was. Ha- she had a moment to like collect herself, try to figure out what to do next. They tell her that she needs a $5,000 bail to get out. So that's when she starts calling people and saying, hi, it's it's like three in the morning. Hi, I'm in jail. I need $5,000 bail to get out. That's when you know who your true friends are, right? That's <laughs> right. when you know who's like, I'm on my way. Right. So a friend comes through a few hours later with the bail and she's free, but she can't go back home. There's a 72-hour restraining order forbidding her from returning to her own house. She stays with her friend. And from that point on, she has to figure out what she's going to do. Um, she'll tell us more about this decision, but she does end up sometime later going back home to Mr. Wannabe, to this guy. And of course, Mm -hmm. this is where it's easy to judge from our collective high horses and say, but why, right? You were Mm -hmm. just in jail because of him. She felt like if she didn't go back, he would press charges because that ball was in his court. Exactly. And she had a court date in April. This was January. So she needed to stay on his good side from January to April because she was afraid of what was going to happen if she didn't. And Mm -hmm. how many women are put in this same position of having to return to someone who is either abusive or toxic for fear of what will happen to them in the court system if they don't? It's like, which chance do you want to take this toxic partner or jail? Right. Right. In April, the investigation was dropped. Her ex decided not to press charges and she was not charged with assault. And yes, she did eventually get untangled from this guy She's living a much healthier, non-toxic life, many states away from him. But I want her to tell us about that in her own words. All in all, can we just say that separate from Kayla's situation, because I respect her choice not to view it as domestic violence, but the way our criminal justice system responds to domestic violence is so backwards, just in general, because a lot of women find themselves in a position similar to Kayla's where they call for help during a physical altercation with a partner who's bigger, stronger, and more powerful than them, and they wind up behind bars. And the trauma and the shame, speaking of shame, that comes from that is monumental. Not to mention mm-hmm. that, as I said earlier, this does nothing to curb domestic violence. I think no. what it does is it delegates the problem of domestic violence to the court system so that police don't have to deal with it. And frankly, it shouldn't solely be on police to end domestic right. violence, Right. This goes into reframing how we respond to emergency calls like are police the best response for protection, maybe. But what about mm de-escalation of these kinds of incidents? Well, and like for the love of God, we all know that the court system does not move at the speed of light. It's actually quite more like molasses. And so, you know, it's fine if we have to leave it to the courts, but the courts don't move as quickly as some situations need them to like period. And so, like, yeah. you can get the ball rolling with this stuff, but, like, the reality is that unless the court system, I mean, this is, like, small beans, but, like, if they can't start dealing with cases and stuff in less than a year after they're brought forward, <laughs> it makes no difference. Everybody's right. still it's, fucked. It's not going to protect anybody. Right. Ugh. All right. So let's hear from Kayla in her own words about what happened that night. 
All right. We are welcoming Kayla Fazio today. She is a personal trainer, health coach, fitness model, uh, nutrition expert, as well as the host of the podcast Habits You Love. She can be found at habitsyoulove.com where uh, you, like me, will realize you probably need to work out more. Um, Kayla, how are you? And thank you for coming on Toxic. I'm great now, and I'm very excited to, to be on here and share my story and talk with you a little bit more. Oh, good. Uh, so first, let's just start off with the the easy question. You host this podcast called Habits You Love. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I like to just call it a thought-provoking podcast about self-love, self-healing, spiritual evolution, self-awareness. Um, I, I really actually start off my first 10 episodes with my personal story. And then from there, I kind of go back and I pick out certain topics that I've gone through personally. I usually don't talk about anything that I haven't gone through. Um, and so it's really just about, like it says in the, in the title, just getting back to habits you love. I think a lot of people don't love their habits and (laughs) not only that, they don't know why they don't know why they're stuck in this loop of bad cycle of habits and behaviors and patterns. And that's kind of my mission is to help you understand why you are the way you are, help you unlearn, unpack things so you can become ultimately self-aware and and being more in control in your habits and more confident in life. I love that. That's that's essentially what it sounds like you've been doing since this horrible, toxic relationship experience. So for you to turn that into your livelihood as well, I mean, that's a great mesh of that. Yeah, I definitely, you know, I, I used to be like that. I've always been like this. I did lose myself for a little bit of time and a a period of time. I completely had to kind of be pulled back in order to be catapulted forward a little bit. So I definitely started that as a way to share everything I went through and just to relate more to people because I feel like in the past, mostly women, you know, would say that they can't relate to me because I'm I'm so disciplined and I look the way I do and all that, but I'm like, but I've gone through things that no one knows about. And I just wanted to share that and be more relatable and just know that everyone goes through things. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, we were just talking about this off air earlier. It's such a, a weird, I don't know if weird's a word. It's a confusing to me stereotype where they say, uh, you know, I've heard people say before, well, she's, she's this, that pretty educated, you know, so how could she possibly uh, being snared by, you know, an abusive, toxic partner. And it's like, I, I'm sorry. Do you think that they, they don't target everyone? Cause you know, these kinds of men do target everyone. And also, you know, that's, that's kind of a disservice to every other survivor to say, well, because you had this set of traits, that must be why you wound up with someone who was abusive. Exactly. And that's a, completely ridiculous. I mean, it abuse does not discriminate for looks, for education, for socioeconomic status, any of that. Yeah. And I think in in my situation, and I think for most, we kind of are talking about narcissistic um, abuse a little bit here. And I think they do target confident, independent women that are successful in some way, because I think, I don't know whatever reason, but it's like, they want to grab a hold of you and like make you less than. So, Mm -hmm. or yeah, so, or just be like, 
you're going to be below me. I'm the superior. And I do think they target confident women um, that they can tell have something going for them. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's also about elevating their status too, right? So they'll pick somebody that they might see themselves in, in like an egotistical way and then use that person for their own benefit. Yeah. Which is just toxic in and of itself. But let's talk about that night with Mr. Wannabe um, where things kind of reach the breaking point. There's this physical fight. You call for help. You're the one who calls 911 and you say, I'm scared of this guy and you end up getting arrested. Can you tell me what was going through your head as much as you can remember in that moment? Because I'm guessing you've never been arrested before. So that must have been a shock right off the bat. That is the one word that I was going to (laughs) use. I was in complete and total shock. The only two times I can remember being in that much shock as I was, was one, when I found out my mom died, and then two, this situation. After I called the police, like you said, I was outside with them for maybe 20 to 30 minutes while he was inside. So we were separated and they were going back and forth, you know, getting our stories and looking at my body. And as I was describing what happened from my point of view, and this went on for just a little bit. And what's so weird is what I was thinking is like, how should I act? Like I've Mm -hmm. never been arrested before. Like you said, like I kept thinking I need to act calm. And I don't know why I thought this, like, I just remember not wanting to act scared or to cry. Um, So that's what I did. I just remained really calm. And maybe I thought I didn't want to act crazy either and look like I was this crazy psycho girlfriend Mm -hmm. that maybe put that was like blame or responsibility on me. Like, oh my gosh, this girl's freaking crazy. Like, of course she's the one responsible. So I just remember I wanted to be really calm Mm-hmm. I can also remember in my mind, like I wanted relief. I wanted everything that I experienced, not only in that last five hours that all of this was going down, but honestly, the last two years of being in this situation, I just, I wanted out. Um, I thought, okay, like this is it. This is the final straw. I now have a legit reason to be done with this mm-hmm. and to be done with him. And as I was thinking all of this, I'm like, okay, like I actually, I actually felt calm and I felt like I had done the right thing. And I called people who are supposed to help you. And as soon as I was thinking all of this, my dog happened to be with me just because he was really scared and he's kind of like really attached to me. And they said, okay, well, let's go over here and we're going to put your dog inside so we can continue talking. And I was like, okay. So as soon as I closed the door to the house, they turned me around and told me I was being arrested. Mm. They put my hands behind my back, started reading me my rights. And that's when the shock like really kicked in. I didn't cry. I felt numb. I just completely disassociated from myself. (laughs) Like my physical body was there, but mentally, I don't know where my mental state was. And then that turned into anger. Like as I was taking that short ride to the jail at 2 a.m. on an early Friday morning, I was thinking, how the hell did he just get away with this? Honestly, that's what I was thinking. Did you ever find out what he said to them? Did he ever admit to you? I, I didn't ever find out. 
Um, later on, he did say, you know, typical narcissist, but he did say, oh, I was trying to help you. Like, I was hoping that they help knew you. who I was. And so I was actually trying to help you in this situation and, um, you know, not let them do that to you. But I mean, yeah, well, that sounds the, like a load of bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the moment, I know he didn't do that because so in the state of California, which he knew this law, I did not know this law. Had I known this law, maybe I would have made a different choice. I don't know. It was all in the moment. It was all based off emotions. But in the state of California, in a lot of states, actually. Yeah, it's if about you, half the states yeah, in the country. If you, mm-hmm. if you call the police for anything domestic, one person is going to jail. Mm-hmm. Someone is getting arrested. And he knew that. So he knew he didn't want it to be him. And it would have had a lot more damage if if it was him going to jail. So I know in the moment he was not trying to help me. <laughs> but later on, of course, he said he did. Um, how did but, how did that shape you going forward? I mean, that experience of being arrested and and everything that went down that night. Yeah, I mean, gosh, that first week, the first five days was probably the most emotional week I've ever had in my entire life. Um, it was a very traumatic thing going through that spending, I did spend eight hours in jail. Um, God, just, I didn't, again, I didn't cry. I didn't Mm -hmm. even, I was so out of it. I was so, so, so out of it. Um, and although, you know, learning that my mom died was the first traumatic thing I witnessed, this was very different because at this time I had been in therapy for about six months and I was actually learning how to know and understand and express my feelings and emotions, which I had never done in the past. So this time I felt everything, like every emotion I physically felt throughout that whole week. I mean, it was like talking to family and then I was like, should I get an attorney? And then he was making threats and then he was taking it all back and trying to be nice. So it was just very emotional. And like, again, I was, I felt it all where this in the past, I would have just completely disassociated. I would just been like, numb it out, move on, sweep it under the rug. Um, But in typical narcissistic fashion, he somehow ended up as the victim in this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this man that controlled me, manipulated me and emotionally abused me for years and then cheated on me and lied to me, which is how this incident even ensued. And I call the police for help because we were in a physical altercation. I get arrested and I just felt like that completely negated everything he had done to me. And that now I was the crazy one in the relationship because what he did to me through all those years was done in silence and in secret. And now what happened to me was very public. So So, that's how you think that you were perceived or did you start to actually believe that, that you were the crazy one? I both, I, I just felt like I was like, wait, like, that's not fair. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) yeah, I just, this one thing happened to me and no one's talking about and, we, and no one hardly knew everything that had happened in the past. So I felt like immediate shame. Like I right. definitely started to develop deep, deep shame around that. Um, and because it was spreading like wildfire, like in the first few hours, 
uh, my family knew, my friends knew, people in other states were calling my friends and asking what happened. But, and you know, within an hour of this happening, whereas years of what he did to me, you know, no one said a word. So it was like I had the attention and the blame and the guilt all placed on me that now I had to recover from and apologize for and like build this trust back up when I didn't do anything to him except support him during all that time. And then I ended up actually being the victim, but I felt now it's like, oh, that really just backfired on me in a way. And probably one of the rough part of that too, is that you probably felt like any, any story you gave of, but wait, before this X, Y, and Z happened, I've endured this and this, this probably sounded like some sort of petty retribution that you were trying to spout out to like cover your nest because you got arrested when actually it's the truth that you just didn't feel like probably disclosing to everybody, you know, as a lot of people who are in toxic relationships don't really feel like airing that. After that, you say that in the podcast, in Rachel's podcast, you said that you still loved Mr. Wannabe and you do end up going back to him. And some people who've never experienced that pull of course of control and gaslighting um, and what that can do to somebody might not understand that, but you're definitely not alone because it can take an average of seven times to leave an abusive partner, or if we want to classify them as toxic partner, anybody who has those kinds of traits. Um, can you talk about your mindset in that moment when you decided that you should go back? Yeah. Well, at the time, you know, I, I don't know what I, I said in the podcast. I can't remember, but at the time I, you know, I thought it was love. I thought I was fighting for this love, but now I know it as a trauma bond. Um, yeah. There were two main reasons I went back to him and none of which were because I was in love with him. Um, the first one was quite literally, I had no money to do so. He made sure that he was in control of the finances and that I didn't have a career or money of my own, like another form of control and manipulation. Um, you know, it was disguised to me at the time as being taken care of, quote unquote, but that's not what it was like. So the only place I could have gone was to Florida and I didn't have the money to buy a flight, to ship my things, to get a car. I didn't have a car. I had his car. Um, so honestly, it was just comfortable for me to stay there and forgive him because he was begging me to do so. It was convenient for me to go back to my big, beautiful house on the beach where all of my things already were. It was easier for me to hide and to say, you know, oh, we're just working on it rather than have to answer the questions of like, oh, what happened? You know, like, why did you abruptly move and why'd you guys break up? So this is where I think a lot of women end up like comfortable and secure, even if the situation they're in is dangerous, like Mm -hmm. literally, physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever. I just feel like as women, we're like, but this is the easier choice to do right now in yeah. the moment, you know? And for all those people out there who always tell people in relationships with abusive or toxic partners, you know, why don't you just leave? It's like, can you imagine yourself picking up your life right now and changing every single thing about it and starting over? Like, it's not just a walking out the door, the suitcase decision. I mean, this is a huge, huge change. Um, you also talked a lot about shame. And you said that in the podcast, you read a book that really opened your eyes to what shame was and how it was a part of your life. Um, 
I think we've all had those self-help books where we're like, oh my God, that's what that is, right? Like it's like that light bulb moment that comes to us. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you think shame was one of the factors that trapped you with Mr. Wannabe? Yeah. Um, realizing I had shame was definitely one of those life altering moments that kind of like you just said, that light bulb moment. I read Guilt, Shame, and Anxiety by Dr. Peter Bregan. And that really opened my eyes to understanding myself more and why my life had gone the way that it did. Um, shame is the biggest negative emotion you can have. And when you are carrying it around with you, it like bleeds out to every part of your life and actually will dictate how you show up in the world. So um, when Mr. Wannabe and I got together, I was really quick to open up to him a lot about my past and my trauma and seeing him quote unquote, like take me under his wing and really want to help me with that is where I think I became trauma bonded with him. Like I had referenced mm. earlier. Um, and he probably I, used that against you to a certain extent once you revealed that to him. Um, I wouldn't, well, you know, there were a couple of times if we got in a fight, he would say, um, you know, you're just going to end up just like your mom. Cause my mom, you know, did end up committing mm -hmm. suicide. Um, and That's a horrible you know, thing to say. Oh yeah, my God. Yeah. So he, he never used it against me as like, oh, I'm going to tell everyone what happened to you, but he more so he did use it like, um, I'm the only one that's been helping you with this. And I don't know, just kind of making right. me feel guilt. Yeah. I mean, like he probably saw that as an opportunity to have sort of an imbalance of power, I feel like. Right. right so like you exactly. disclose all those things and he's like, oh, this person is hurting. I could be the knight in shining armor totally. to come save her, which is and why we've the talked to people before about, you know, when you first meet somebody, you know, it's important to make sure that before you disclose trauma, that you can really trust this person because it kind of can be a, a a spot where they can infiltrate and, and use that against you in the future. Definitely. And being him being so to get the sense that I was never gonna be as smart as him. I was never going to win in any situation. He's always going to have age and the experience and the life and the knowledge that I don't have yet. And I was never going to be, you know, at his level. I was always going to be below him and he's always going to be superior to me. And that started to really bother me as well. Um, he always used that against me of like, oh, I've been through all, you know, I just been through all this and, and all that. So, um, but to get back to, you know, to, if I think, you know, shame kind of bonded me to him. Um, like I said, I, I met him in a very vulnerable and naive state of my life. And, uh, I thought I was falling in love with someone when really I was just getting emotionally attached to him and letting him take all of that weight off of me that I didn't want to carry anymore. Um, also, another factor was him and I were kind of living shameful lives ourselves that we kept hidden from everyone. And he wanted to portray himself as very successful, like he was the celebrity and this business owner and that we lived in this expensive city and had nice things when really behind the scenes, we couldn't even afford anything that we had. Um, we don't really have to go into the weeds on this, but when I met him, he had started a company that he, you know, had, it had to be built from the ground up. And of course it required funds to work on the business while also supporting yourself and me and all the things. Yeah. So he just didn't have the means to live the way he thought he deserved to live and start a business. So 
I go into way more detail in the podcast about that, where I share my full story, but I just think we were sharing, or I'm sorry, we were living shameful lives. And I felt Mm -hmm. like that had bonded us together as well. Um, you know, that we're doing this together and we're struggling together and that we're going to have this success story when really all it was doing was causing me so much more anxiety and even like more shame to Mm -hmm. be portraying this lifestyle that felt fake to me that I was like, oh, I'll share the nice and shiny parts on social media with my friends. We're hanging out with this person and we're going here when we can, but the real story that's I keep that to myself, you know, I keep that hidden for yeah. me. So like I always say, since I already discovered that I had shame, I was working on dealing with my past shame while living in shame. So yeah. it was very conflicting emotions trying to work all that out. And then this huge event happened where it's like, that's a big ball of shame too. So it was like, I just was carrying around the shame that I it just like, couldn't get rid of. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, And I will say, you know, I don't think it was really shame that kept me with him. I think it was a lack of self-awareness, a lack of high self-worth, a lack of boundary setting, a lack of being able to express feelings and emotions. And it wasn't until I started to work on those things that everything changed. Yeah. And what was the final straw then? for you? When did you decide, okay, that's, that's enough now? Honestly, when I worked on all those things, like I just said, yeah. What I haven't actually mentioned yet was this all happened in January of 2020 when the incident went down. So So then I had already, exactly. So when I had already decided to stick it out, the world began to shut down. So COVID actually really helped me. I know it was bad time for a lot of people, but it forced me to actually slow down and do so much inner work on myself. I was working out every day, which I already did for the most part, but forced me to actually work out. I was meditating. I ended up getting a yoga certification online. And so we had to do a lot of homework around breath work and obviously do a lot of yoga. So that was helping. I was journaling. I was just sitting with myself because Mm. that's all there was to do during Mm -hmm. COVID, you know? So after months and months of unpacking and unlearning my shame and my trauma and my lack in those certain areas is when the blinders came off. Like Mm -hmm. I started to get my confidence back. I rebuilt that self-worth that I let get taken away from me. Um, And so after in April of 2020 and the quote investigation was done and there wasn't even really an investigation, but you know, the police called my ex and he basically just told them that he wanted it all dropped and for this all to go away. And so that was Mm -hmm. already a huge relief off my back because for those four months, I was like, I have to suck up to him. I have to be on his good side. I can't piss him off, you know? So simultaneously, I was building up this power and within myself that had been hidden for so long. And what's crazy, if you want to know, like the one thing my my therapist said about me and what I was dealing with the most is that Mm -hmm. I, I had lost my voice somewhere Mm. in my life, not even during this, it was, this was all before, but like, she was like, you lost your voice. Like you basically have lost yourself And that everything that had happened to me in my past and my twenties and, 
everything leading up to that moment was like covering my light and my joy in these layers. And she said, you know, the only way to heal myself was to begin to shed those layers. So Hmm. that's really what COVID did for me. And my increase in self-awareness really saved me from that relationship and ultimately like saved my life. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. Well, I think it takes courage to go public with a story like this um, for any survivor of toxic or abusive partner, Um, especially when you have to talk about the fact that you got arrested. Um, Something that like, speaking of shame, some people would feel like they need to hide for fear of judgment. So what made you decide to come forward on It Doesn't End Here and your own podcast and here on Toxic? And what does it feel like once this story is out there? Mm. I was definitely very nervous to share my story. Even Mm -hmm. my friend and I recorded, we wanted to record all the episodes before and not record one, release one, record one, release one. So halfway through recording all of the episodes before they were released, I like went to my friend who hosted and produced it. And I told her, I was like, I don't know if this is a good idea. I was actually Mm -hmm. really scared, really nervous Um, Although we were hiding his identity and it was never my intention to share this just to like bash him or make him out to be an asshole. I was scared that he would do something. Um, Yeah. And I was actually still being a little bit financially abused by him at this point as we were recording the episodes, because technically he did owe me quite a bit of money from working um, in the business, you know, on a salary that I was never paid for. So I, he was definitely holding that over me. And I was like, if he finds out I'm doing this, like he won't pay me that money. Or what if he sues me? You know, everything was going through my mind because he portrays himself as this big shot who has all this power when he really doesn't. Like I've seen the manipulation and deceit he has done to people and all the empty threats he makes. And that's really what I was holding on to. Um, I was like, well, if he makes a threat, usually they don't end up working out anyway. So after I shared my story, I felt so much better. I believe talking, I believe your words have massive power. And when, Mm -hmm. yeah, when you can get out as much shame and emotion as possible, you become almost empty, but in a good way, like a wholesome present person who doesn't have anything to hide anymore. And I think that felt the best. I had hid so much of my life for so long, the bad parts anyway. Um, And personally, I'm just not someone who likes to live a fake life or portray my life in a way that isn't honest and real. So for me to admit to the world that, hey, listen, this is what was actually going on. That was a huge weight off me. Um, Mm -hmm. It did also help to get a lot of messages from women and that they felt like they could relate to me and that they had gone through the same thing. I, I really started to realize, wow, a lot of women go through toxic relationships. I only know maybe a handful of people people, women personally that haven't gone through something and every situation is different, but I've talked to so many women that they've been in a relationship that has somehow affected their mental health in a negative way, which Mm -hmm. is so crazy to me and affected their confidence, their self-worth. 
And so honestly, the podcast, the story, the season just started to take on a life of its own. And soon after releasing it, we were starting to get downloads in the tens of thousands every single week. Um, of course I've, you know, I've gotten some negative backlash and, you know, saying I'm an idiot saying I was, you know, making it's stupid always decisions. that person. Yeah. yeah. Like how could I stay with him? All the things people, when they don't know what it's like to be in a toxic narcissistic relationship will say. Yeah. Um, but I know who I am and I, I know what I went through and, and by me sharing it to the world, it's just me saying like, I have no shame anymore. And I consider myself a very shameless person now, which feels amazing. Yeah. And not only that, but now it's like, I feel like I can just read people very well. Now I can pinpoint what emotions people are going through when they're reacting a certain way or the patterns that they have, which is actually very beneficial to know. Um, Just because if you don't, if you both are being, are not self-aware, then it's, you can take things out of context and not really see why the person is reacting the way they are. Um, but yeah, it just feels really good to not feel like I have to hide myself all the time. Right. Um, yeah. I think that's the most freeing feeling. I think my strong sense of self-awareness and increasing my emotional intelligence is the only way I was able to get out of that relationship and share my story with the world and help other women and inspire them to do the same. Absolutely. Which you have and continue to do. And all people who um, have the courage to speak out, do that. And that's why we do this podcast and probably why you do yours, because yeah, it's exactly. just talking about it is the first step to, um, to eradicating this issue of um, abusive and toxic relationships and partners. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate you coming on here. Thank, Thank you so you. much for letting us share your story. And I'm so glad that you're in a better, happier, healthier place now. Yes, me too. But it all started with opening my mouth and <laughs> saying words, <laughs> telling my right. story. Honestly. Which is a lot harder than it seems. I so know. we all know that. Well, thank you. And only the best of luck with uh, your podcast going forward. Thank you. You as well. Thank you for listening to another episode of Toxic. By making time to hear these stories, you've become part of the spotlight that keeps abusers from hiding in the shadows, believing they're untouchable. Please visit us on Instagram and Twitter at ToxicThePodcast or ToxicThePodcast.com and let us know what you think about what we've said or tell us what we should talk about next. If you're experiencing abuse, please visit DomesticShelters.org to find more information about all forms of domestic violence or to locate an advocate or shelter in your area. You can also call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 800-799-SAFE. If you're a survivor of sexual assault and need someone to talk to, please call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-HOPE. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.